Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, it's great to be back again. I love this church and love the presence of His Spirit among you. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those, I want to get right into the Word. If you'll turn to the Gospel as John records it, the sixth chapter. It is a hallmark of most contemporary preaching that we choose only a verse or two, a brief passage of Scripture, and, and use that. However, this morning, I want to read a lengthy passage from John chapter 6, and then another, yet another passage from John chapter 11. And I know that it is lengthy and a bit unusual for a Sunday morning passage, but let me read it for you. If you're there, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 35. John 6 and 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that all that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which cometh down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world." The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, 
not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. It's a profound and complicated passage, isn't it? Turn to verse, chapter 11. Now we shall see how he ties into this conversation. This passage, a more uh, uh, brief passage, happens um, following the death and burial of Lazarus. If you'll remember, Lazarus was the friend of Christ, as were Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Mar they, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick unto death. But Jesus tarries deliberately. And then he arrives four days after the funeral. And when he arrives there, Martha kind of climbs his case a little bit. And you, you, there's just a tone that can come into a woman's voice. When I read this passage, the men will probably hear the tone better than the women do. And she, she just kind of says to him, look, I sent you an email. If you were to come, my brother would be alive. And that's, that's where we'll tie into the passage. Verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then look, he ends with a question. Believest thou this? Let's pray together. Vamos a orar. Padre bendito celestial, te damos gracias por tu presencia con nosotros en esta mañana, porque te necesitamos mucho. Necesitamos un palabra de esperanza. Ayúdame, por favor. Lléname con tu Espíritu Santo y úsame a su gloria si es posible. Y por favor, glorifica tu nombre en este mensaje. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We welcome your presence and your power. We pray that you will brush aside every barrier to communication, linguistic, cultural, generational. Rush in over the threshold of our souls and speak to us within that when we leave here today, we will say one to another, surely the Lord hath spoken unto us. In the mighty name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. I have spent most of my adult life, more than 50 years, devoting myself to the study of the discipline of communication. I've studied it in linguistics, in mass media, radio and television, in, in writing. My 20th book will be released in October, in, in preaching, in, in interpersonal communications. What I want to know is what makes communication work? When it works, what went right? When it, went, when it goes wrong, what went wrong? I know what some of you are thinking. If he studied communications for 50 years, it seems like he'd be better at it. But you don't know how bad I might have been. Here's what I have learned. We're one to study, the, to boil the discipline of communication for a thousand years. 
the creme d'essence, the, the, the cream that would rise to the top would simply be four things. The right message to the right party in the right way at the right time. Those four things, the right message to the right party in the right way at the right time. Get any of those four variables wrong and it can all go wrong really fast. I heard about a married couple that lived in Michigan and they were coming down here to Orlando on holiday. But at the last minute, the wife had to stay behind one more night for a meeting at her place of business. And she said, go on down and I'll come tomorrow. So the husband came down and got in the hotel here and decided to email his wife at work and just tell her he was there. But he realized he didn't have her work email in his contacts, but he thought he could remember it, or at least he figured he could come close. So he sent it. How many of you know with email, close is no good? The email went for sure, but it didn't come to his wife. It went to an elderly woman, the, the widow of a Pentecostal minister who had died the week before. When she got the email on her computer screen, she read it and she just fainted. Her grown children came in and found her unconscious in the floor and this, this email was on the screen. Dearest wife, just got checked in. I am awaiting your arrival. Tomorrow. P.S. Sure is hot down here. You can send the right message to the wrong person. You can send it in the wrong way. You can send it at the wrong time and everything can go wrong. One of the problems with our horizontal communication, human communication is that we can all even be speaking the same language and miscommunication can happen. One, one reason is the language, the modern language, contemporary language is evolving or perhaps I better say devolving so fast that words which we have always used to mean one thing, the words still exist, but they mean something else. Uh, everybody in here that's under the age of 25, will you wave your hand like that to me? Everybody under the age of 25, I have a word of prophecy for you. Here it is. By the time you are my age, if Jesus tarries, there are words that you use right now to mean one thing, and when you're my age, they will mean something else. It's, it's disconcerting. How many of you here, we ask for the young people, how many of you here are old enough to remember when gay meant happy? When I was a kid, gay had nothing to do with orientation. It was about your disposition. I used to go to a party, I'd come home, my mother would say, did you have a good time? I said, yeah, everybody there was gay. <laughs> she wasn't worried, we were just happy. I mean, remember the Christmas song, Don We Now Our Gay Apparel? That doesn't mean Christmas and drag. It just means we were happy at the birth of Christ. I was preaching recently in California, which is evidently where the ling English language will be destroyed. And I was preaching to a high school audience and it was just a huge audience of high school students. And I don't know when I've ever preached to a, such a positive and receptive audience. They were just with it all the way. Afterward, I was talking with a group of boys, just some boys that came down to the front to talk with me. 
And the first boy said, Dr. Mark, he said, you are one bad preacher. In my lifetime, bad has come to mean good. The second boy said, you're not just bad. He said, you're the baddest preacher I've ever heard. Baddest is not even a word in the English language. The third boy said, you're not just bad. He said, you are one sick dude. One can only sense my level of personal affirmation. Early on in life, I set a sort of a life goal of becoming a really sick dude. The fourth boy was not content with these low altitude compliments. He said, you are not just bad. You're not just sick. He said, you are the OG of crunk. I have no clue. I teach the National Institute of Christian Leadership. And some years ago, one of my students that came through now pastors a hip hop church, whatever that is. And so I figured if anybody would know what the OG of crunk was, it would be Tommy. I called him. I said, Tommy, if somebody said to me, you're the OG of crunk, what, what would that mean? Oh, he said, OG, it means the original gangster. <laughs> I said, so I'm the original gangster of crunk? He said, yes, that's it. I said, no, Tommy, you, you don't understand. What I'm looking for is what does it mean? Oh, oh, he said, it means you beat a Mac Daddy. I said, look, Tommy, what I'm after here, I'm looking for a definition, Tommy. That's, he said, Dr. Mark, I'm trying to explain it to you. He said, it means you be off the chain. I just decided to leave it alone. Now, what is the com if that is the communication issue between us, what is the cu communication problem from God toward us? Now, I know what you're thinking. God has no problems. He does. The transmitter is perfect. The transmission is perfect. The receivers are all broken. Every message we receive from God usward, we receive through the fallen, corrupted, sinful filter of our own humanity. The entire Bible can be understood in terms of communication from the very beginning. Listen to this. And Adam and God walked together and talked together in the cool of the evening. Now, that, that's a, a fascinating passage of Scripture. And it's pregnant with implications about communication. When they walked together and talked together in the cool of the evening, what language were they speaking? Wasn't English. Wasn't even Spanish. La lengua celestial. It... <laughs> My friend in Jerusalem, Doran Heiliger, he says it was Hebrew. Wasn't even Hebrew. What language were they speaking? They were speaking the native language of God. What is the native language of God? When God said, let us make man in our own image, he was speaking inside the enclosed society of the divine Godhead. God the Father through the word, by the spirit, unto himself within himself. Let us make man in our own image. In what language was he thinking? The native language of God is God. 
So when Adam and God walked together and talked together in the cool of the evening, they were speaking God. The problem was once humanity was exiled from the Garden of Eden, we no longer spoke God. Since the Tower of Babel, we can no longer speak to each other. Since marriage, we can't even speak to each other in the same language. So every message from God to us has to come somehow to that fallen humanity that no longer thinks or speaks in God. So God said, I've got to solve the problem. He said, I'm going to send my transcendent, cosmic, preexistent thought communication. I'm going to send it to sinful humanity in terms that humanity will understand. That thought, that word, that word, I will make it into flesh and it shall be flesh among flesh as flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The book of Hebrews puts it like this. God, who in various times and diverse manners hath in the past spoken unto us through his prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us through his son, through the word, and the word became flesh. So the solution was that the word became flesh, a real human being, a real human being. Now, the, the problem was the solution was also part of the problem. Jesus had to be a real human being. He had to have the capacity of a blood death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. If Jesus had lived a perfect life, taught everything that he taught, worked all the miracles that he worked, and died at 99 of pneumonia in a nursing home in Jerusalem, we're all going to hell. Because he had to die a blood death. But angels have no blood. He couldn't be a theological construct. He was not a philosophical idea. He had to become a real human being. The problem was he looked like a real human being. Jesus didn't float into every room three feet above the ground with shafts of purple light coming out from under his fingernails. New age music playing in the background. Everybody would have said, I'm thinking Messiah. The problem was, he looked like us. The book of Isaiah tells us that he wasn't even handsome. You, Hollywood cannot grasp this. You live to be a thousand years old, you will never see a movie about where Jesus is, is ugly. But the book of Isaiah says he was not comely that we should desire to look upon him. So you've got a very ordinary looking human being who is trying to communicate the word to people who no longer think or speak in God. But the problem is he is thinking and speaking in God. So he is translating cosmic transcendent reality into human words. And the boxcars of that human vocabulary is insufficient for the weight of the thought. So always in every conversation, Jesus is using words at multiple levels. But the people that he's talking to are only receiving it at the lowest level. Sometimes it's downright comical. 
Not everybody sees funny stuff in the New Testament. Some of it just absolutely slays me. I'm only hoping God has the same sense of humor I do. But here's one. Jesus is in a room full of Jewish people. It's packed. Nobody else can even get in. Philip and Andrew come to him and say, we've got a couple of Gentiles at the door that want to get in this room full of Jews. Should we bring them in or not? And here's Jesus' answer. He says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth a great harvest. But if it falleth into the ground and dieth, it bringeth forth a great harvest. No, that's his answer. I can just see Philip and Andrew as they start out the door. Do you think he meant like yes or no? Because why? They're thinking of those Gentiles at that door getting into that room. But Jesus is saying, if I still remain in the shell, the seed pod of this human physical body, how big of a building can we build? But if I will go into the ground, I will be raised up into the worldwide church so that every Gentile can step over the threshold into the commonwealth of Israel. There's hardly any place where that sublime confusion is any more powerful than over the issue of life and death. It is a, it is a conversation that goes all the way back again to the Garden of Eden. What was the central part of the conversation of the Garden of Eden? It was about life and death. God said, do not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the center of the garden. For in the, in the day in which you eat, thou shalt surely die. What did Satan say to Eve? You're not going to die. Had that God. <laughs> He's always speaking in hyperbole. He says, trust me, you're not going to die. And the woman took of the fruit and ate and saw that it was good to taste and good to open her eyes. And she gave to the man and he did eat. Here's my question. Did they bite that fruit and drop down dead on the ground? I'm asking you. No, they didn't die. Did they die? Yes, they died. They just didn't die. That's the, that is the fundamental issue of the reality of God's communication with us. He says, I'm talking to you about life and death and you're thinking of life and death. He says, you've got to get beyond the issue of life and death. You've got to get up where we can talk about life and death. How about this one? We've had 2,000 years to work with this stuff. But imagine hearing it the first time. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Oh, yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> Sounds like a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? The night the dead bury the dead. But what's he talking about? He's saying, look, these people are dead. But those people over there, they look like they're alive, but they're not alive, they're dead. You don't need to be messing around with dead people. Let those dead people bury it. They look like they're alive, but they're dead. These people are just dead. Those people are dead. <laughs> and the next verse is magnificent. It says, and they knew not that which he spoke. You think? <laughs> we still struggle with this. What does this thing we call Christianity even mean. We, we struggle for some way to communicate what this is about. And in our struggle, what do we have? Our only tool is human words. 
So we come with words that, we, that mean something. They mean something to us and we try to use them. They're not bad words. They're not wrong words. They're just insufficient for the weight that we lay on them. What does it mean to be born again? To receive Christ? To get saved? To become a Christian? Those, those are all good, valid words. I'm not denigrating them in any way. I'm just saying, what do they mean? And Jesus said... If you will believe in me, I will give you life. You shall receive life that more abundantly and that eternally. The problem was he was talking to people that thought they were alive. Can you see the complication? Jesus says, if you believe in me, I'll give you life. They say, oh, I'm alive. He says, no, trust me, you're not. <laughs> and if you die, you won't die. That's, that's the whole reality of the Christian faith. What he wants to pour into us is not simply some set of doctrinal truths, though doctrine is important. Not simply some, some catalog of, of dogma, though dogma is real. But those things cannot transform us in and of themselves. You remember the bracelets that were a huge rage some years ago? And if you're wearing one, I'm not picking a fight. I haven't seen you. So, but do you remember those that said, uh, WWJD, what, what would Jesus do? I never liked those because they were, they were insufficient. I'm getting a crisis moment and I look at, what would Jesus do? I know what Jesus would do, walk on water. How exactly does that help me? Now, see, the problem with the bracelet was that it was about moral determinism. If I know what Jesus would do, I can just determine to do it and do it. But that fails to comprehend the reality that I'm operating in sinful flesh, that I'm this human being. I know what Jesus would do, but something is wrong in me. Something is wrong in me. I need something else. I need some other thing in me. And Jesus says that thing, what you're lacking is life. I will give you life that more abundantly and that eternally. So that the character of the Christian experience is the life of Christ within us flowing out from us. Do you ever meet these elderly saints of God? I mean, I mean, they're just so wonderful and sweet and precious people. And do you ever have the feeling you could grab the skin at the top of their forehead and just pull it down and Jesus would look out? That's, that's actually, you see, the goal. That his life within us lives out life. That we are transformed. All the things that we want in life, all the things we want, love and joy and peace and, and power and grace and, and healthy relationships, it's all about life. But we lust so for and grab at life. And all we get is a fistful of death. We get life. We get death in our relationships, death in our marriages, death through bondage, death through all kinds of addictions, death through hurt or hate or racial prejudice. It's all death. It's all death and darkness. And we just keep thinking somehow or another, I can work my way through these things to some kind of 
happiness or joy and we just keep going from marriage to marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship, hurt to hurt, hate to hate, because it's all death. But it's very hard to convince ourselves when we're living out that death that we're not alive. We're not alive. We are, we are operating out of the death that is operative within us. Jesus says, I want to give you life. And that life comes inside of us, life abundant and life eternal. So that the death that we carry around with us now is inhabited by the life that he carried with him. I spent, uh, I spent 16 years, a little more than 16 years as president of two different universities. And as a university president, you're surrounded by young adults. And I, I love the little brats. I really did. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, our beloved students. I love them. But the problem with young people is they, they think they're going to live forever. Worse than that, they think they're going to live forever young. They look at some old dude like me and think, OMG, what happened to him? <laughs> but they cannot imagine that they will ever look like I do because they can't believe that I ever look like they do. Where, where is somebody under the age of 21? Raise your hand for me right here. How old are you, sport? 17. 17. Perfect. Look right up here. Preachers all over the world this morning preaching good news. Good news. I'm sick of it. I've come to you with really bad news. Look up here. I am your future. If you live long enough as you are, so once was I. As I am, you soon will be. What does it mean? It means from the moment we are born, we begin to die. We carry death inside of us. We are gradually dying. And if that death rules over our life in this lives, if we live out death, when we come to the physical reality of death, what do we receive? Death unto death. When we die, we receive the fullness of what we'd had in this life, which is death. But if life comes inside of us, the, the magnificent paradox takes possession. That's the reason. <laughs> That's the reason that the rest of the world can't understand the scripture. Because it's operating until Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. But he wasn't. He was writing that. <laughs> I am crucified with Christ. People sitting there said, well, no, you aren't. He said, yes, I am. I'm crucified. I'm just not crucified. You keep thinking crucified. I'm not crucified, but I'm crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. But Christ who liveth in me. I am dead, but I'm alive. But I'm not really alive because it's Christ who's alive in me. And they know not that which he spoke. <laughs> but that's the, that's the sublime, magnificent paradox of Christianity. And all of the words that we use to talk about that 
complicated. We get it so complicated, it's a miracle anybody ever finds God. Because we're searching for human words to describe this magnificent reality. I am come that they might have life and that more abundant. All the abundance we want in life, all the things that we long for, all the health, all the hope, all the happiness that we long for, it's all in life. But none of it is in life, which is death, which leads to death. But all that we want out of life is in real life, which is abundant life, which leads to eternal life. So it changes totally the transition moment that we call physical death. It transforms it. It becomes now not some horrible crisis of despair, but the moment, the changing room into which we step over into the full revelation of that which we have known. When I, I was 20 years a United Methodist minister, and my first church was when I was 22 years old. The Methodist church in its infinite wisdom gave a 22-year-old boy a church. A 22-year-old boy should not be given a driver's license, let alone a church. I had, never, I had never been to a funeral. The first funeral I ever saw, I preached. I had no clue. I had never been in the room where anybody died. I had never seen the moment of a human death. I don't think I had ever seen a corpse. I don't think I'd ever seen a dead body. When I went to this little church at 22, two or three months later, a man in our church, I mean a saint of God. We all called him Mr. Charlie. He was a wonderful, wonderful Christian man. He fell ill. He was way in his 80s. He went into a coma. They put him in the hospital and he was unconscious in a coma for weeks. And it just drained his family. It drained him physically and emotionally and financially and everything. Finally, one night I was at the hospital with him and I said to all of them, you go home. Go home and go to sleep. I'll stay here. I'll sit right by Charlie's bed all night. And if anything happens, the night nurse will call you. Go on home. And I sat in there all night. Charlie's laying there, hasn't said a word in weeks, tubes down his nose, all the stuff that goes with that. And he began to make a strange noise in his throat. And I called the nurse and I said, I think this patient's dying. She stood there for a few minutes, put her stethoscope on him. She said, well, he's dying, Pastor. She said, I'll call the family. And she left the room. I was sitting there. All of a sudden, Charlie sat bolt upright in the bed. Like they scared the liver out of me. I just, <laughs> he just sat up in the bed and he looked at a blank hospital wall and he said, oh, beautiful. And he was dead when his head hit the pillow. Charlie looked through the thin membrane between life and full life and he saw what it looked like. How then shall we fear? Life unto life, that's the promise of God. And the lie of Satan is, you shall not die. And God says, you are already dead. You're already dead and that death leads on to death. But if you will receive my life, life is abundant now and life unto life. So Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. You see how that changes everything? He says, eat my flesh. We think, yeah. Yeah. And he says, no, no, not flesh. 
flesh. You have to drink my blood. We say, Lord, drink your blood? Are we then cannibals? What? Drink your blood? He says, no, life is in the blood. When you partake of me, of who I am, and the essence of my life, you feed on me by faith. That's what Holy Communion is about. Every time you receive Holy Communion, it's a reminder. Look, we're not, we don't believe in transubstantiation. That wafer isn't going to turn into the flesh of Christ in your mouth. That's nauseating. <laughs> the wine doesn't turn to blood. He is saying, feed on me. He said, Lord, feed on you. He says, no, not feed on me. Feed on me. We should eat your flesh? No, no. Don't eat my flesh. Eat my flesh. <laughs> Drink my blood. My life in your life that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly and that when it's over, it's not over and you have it eternally and altogether perfect. And he ends the whole thing. He says to Martha, believest thou this? That's, that's the simple moment. That's also what he says to every person in this room. Believest thou this? That my gift to you can be life, is life, life abundant and life eternal. Do you believe that that which you have called life is not life at all? And now it stinks in your nostrils. You grabbed at life and what you found was death. And now he says, open yourself and I will breathe life in you. See, it's, this, is, this is not complicated in our effort. As good as they were to communicate with each other, we've overcomplicated it. The issue here this morning is not really whether you believe some set of doctrines. The issue is that you say, Lord, my life is not working. I want your life. I open myself as fully as I know how to do. I dilate my faith the best that I can. And I'm believing you to do all the rest. Fill me with your life. And he says, receive my life. It will overflow in abundance now and magnificence eternally. Life unto life. And that really is amazing. Now I'm gonna ask you all over the house, if you will, please, would you stand to your feet and then bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's stand and have prayer together. All over the house, if you can stand. Bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people who've come in their numbers. Something inside of them is in search of life and you and truth, liberty and holiness. Something is said, there's something more, something beyond what I've ever known. Now, Lord, I'm believing that you will strike away everything that would stand between them and life. And give them access by faith with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Now, I'm going to open my eyes but I want you to keep yours closed so that people around you will have privacy. My question is just simple. 
If you would say, Dr. Rutland, will you please pray for me? If there's anybody in this room that needs life, it's me. I need life. I need life right now. I need life abundant. I need life in my relationships, life in my mind, life to overcome the things that are holding me in bondage. I'm sick of death. What I want is life. I want life now abundant and life eternal when I die. And I want it now. I want to receive his life. Then you hand your, hold your hand up right where you are and I want to pray for you. Yes, yes. Oh, so many. Oh, yes. Dozens and dozens and dozens. I can't recognize every hand on the main floor, up in the risers. Raise your hand up high. It's a big house. I want to be able to see you. Yes. Okay, there. Now, others there. There's a young lady there and up way up on the very back row of the risers. Yes, yes. So many, so many, so many. Now, I'm going to say a simple prayer. And when I say this prayer, when I say amen, we're going to begin to sing all over the house, people worshiping God, but not you. You're going to press right out into the aisle. You're going to walk straight up here to me. If there are people between you and the aisle, turn to them and say, let me out. They may need to come with you, but you're going to walk immediately. If you hesitate, you're undone. The moment I say amen to this prayer, you make straight into the aisle. If you're that man that's way up on the back row, you're going to have a long hike. You need to start immediately, but we're going to wait for you. All over the house, dozens and dozens of people that said this morning, what I want is a baptism of life. I want life this morning. When I say amen to this prayer, you're going to start straight to the altar. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that everything of pride or fear or religion that would hold them back is struck down in the name of Jesus. And they are free to access your great promise of life abundant and life eternal. Now, why would you hesitate? Come forward in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you come as we begin to sing. Come right now as we begin to sing. Good. Thank God. Thank God. Come on. I'm so proud of you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. Come on. Come on, young man. I'm so proud of you. Come on. Come on, girls. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Good. Come on. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? Praise God. Praise God. Come on. We'll wait on you. Thank God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come up a little closer. There are people behind you. Come on. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. What a mighty God we serve. Praise His holy name. Praise His holy name. Come on, girls. We'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Praise God. Good. Yes, every part of my world. Good. Thank you, young lady. Praise God. Come on. Come on, we'll wait on you. Come on, it's okay. Come on. All right. Now, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. As I've just told you, the words are not important. The issue is that you're saying, Now, God, I give you all this that has been death and everything that is of death, all the stuff that I did that was death. I'm through with it. Now I open myself to receive your life. 
that's what we're going to pray. Something like that. The words are not critical. There's no magic formula. It's that you're going to receive life. Amen? Now, you've been bold to walk up here. I'm so proud of you. This is a huge house, and you've walked all the way up here. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you. I took a lot of guts. Now, now you're up here. Now, don't pray like a sissy. I want you to open your mouth and pray. You know, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's all pray this so that our faith mixes with theirs and increases their faith. So we'll all pray it together. But you all lift your voice up and pray it right out loud. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you this, which I have called life, which is but death. I'm through with the things of death. I repent of them. I'm through. And now I open myself. Give me your life. I give you what I've called life. And I believe you will give me real life. Life abundant and life eternal. From now on, the life that I live, Christ lives in me. And when I die, I know, be bold, I know I will be in heaven with you. Life abundant now and life eternal when I die. I receive it now by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Praise His holy name. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, stay right where you are for just a moment. Let me just ask a few of you. What's your name, handsome? Caleb, if you were to die right this minute, where would you go? Heaven. Amen. What about you? Heaven. Praise God. What about you, son? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? Because you're now alive. So life gives way to life. Isn't this wonderful? What about you, young lady? If you died right this minute, would you go to heaven? I can't talk you out of that. No, no way I can talk you out of it. You're, praise God. Isn't this great? Now, I want you to stay right where you are. The pastor is going to come and give you some instruction. People are going to help you and pray with you and talk to you, but stay right where you are. Now, look right up here. Listen to me. I have the authority to make this announcement. Not in the name of Calvary, of, uh, of um, Faith Assembly, not in the name of any organization or denomination, in the authority of the New Testament. I have the authority to make this announcement. So look up here and receive it. Your sins, which were many, are all washed away. Everything, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, your sins are forgiven. And life now reigns in your bodies. God bless you and God bless the church. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.